You're listening to the Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the scriptures can turn our world upside down. Or how it can be weaponized to uphold the status quo. I'm Drew Hart. And I'm Jared McKenna, and this is Inverse. G'day listeners, Drew usually starts, and that's because of Drew's kindness to me. Um, Some will know that I'm dyslexic, so I struggle with reading the bios, Uh, but these three sisters are so important to me, and it's so significant that they've given this time at this particular moment for us to actually hear um, what's going on for them. So I'm actually going to read the bios. Uh, Larissa, who you'll hear about in just a second, she said in the context of the referendum, and for those who aren't on these lands that are now referred to on maps as Australia, it's a referendum to change the Australian constitution that currently does not recognise First Nation peoples, um, nor is there any um, voice to parliament that can't be uh, thrown out by successive governments. And so there is a referendum coming up to actually um, acknowledge um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people um, in the constitution and to make sure that there is a consistent uh, voice um, that continues to hear them in terms of Australian parliament. And as you can imagine, for Indigenous people um, in Australia at the moment, this is an incredibly painful conversation, like in 1967, where Australians literally voted on whether Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people would have the vote. Australia is again having a public conversation where at the table that is Australia, in front of people who actually have been at the table longer than anybody else, 30,000, 40,000, 50,000, 60,000 years, and there's now a conversation for those who have been there for 200 years, are we going to actually acknowledge them as they sit down at the table? Um, are we going to actually allow them to have a voice uh, around all the policies uh, that are passed that impact them? And this is incredibly costly. And so the quote from Larissa reads like this, in the context of the referendum, which I've just done my best to give in a Jared explanation of, how do we as Indigenous women rewrite, rename, and remember our stories in a hostile environment? So let me give the intros to um, these dear sisters who I love dearly. Um, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to start with Hannah. Um, Hannah, I, I don't speak any Māori. I'm pretty sure that my pronunciation of Māori still isn't correct, even though I'm not doing the Australian Māori. Um, but uh, I'm going to give it a red hot go. Hannah Chapman. <laughs> so brace yourself. You'll go. Um, Hannah Chapman is a Tufete Toa. Tifanu e pani whakatoi hiha ni te rangi, an Irish, and divides her time between uh, what's found on most maps is Auckland, which I'm trying to pronounce properly. So here we go um, Tamiki Mako Oro, and her ancestral homelands of Turangi. With more than 20 years' experience working in community and Indigenous development initiatives, nationally and internationally, Hannah is a respected Māori leader. She is dedicated to enabling self-determination and re um, indigenization of Māori and other Indigenous people, providing consultancy, strategy, development and support services to non-for-profits, businesses, community groups and iwi, 
um, which in English is kind of translated as tribal entities, um, that align with this life-orientating connection. Hannah is an executive chairperson and co-founder of Nawa Ho Honno, a trustee for Te Ora Ho Aotearoa, and co-founder of I Emergence in Canada and the Philippines. She is a representative of her whānau, uh, as in family, engagement with the Crown at the local government entities um, in the only whānau treaty settlement in existence, and remains very involved with her beloved Hapu Nati Turangi Tukwa. Wow. wow, you did so good. Yeah, good job. Good okay, the Pakia <laughs> might get a pass for that one. There's still two bios <laughs> to go. Um, my dear sister, Sarah or Rasera McCullen, lives on Bunjalung country in the lands now called Australia. Her journey lately has been leaning into following the Jesus way while deconstructing and unlearning colonial misreadings of the Bible. She is a pr proud Pacifica woman and works to bring attention to her homeland of Tuvalu, which is under threat because of the rising sea levels. She is the founder of Indigenous Giving Circle, a philanthropic initiative created to decolonize wealth, working towards a reparations model of giving. Oh my goodness, my friends are so impressive. We've got one more to go. The incredible Liz Larissa Minicon. Now, it's not in her bio, but it's hard not <laughs> to mention Arnie Sharon and Uncle Ray and all that they mean to me and so many of us. But it's not in the bio, bio so I won't mention it. So here's the bio. <laughs> Larissa Minicon is a Cubby Cubby, Gara Gara and Amran and a, a Zendikar Kez woman. I know I got that bit wrong. I'm sorry. Who lives and works and studies on Gadigal land. She is currently undertaking a master, master's degree in narrative therapy and community work through the University of Melbourne. Larissa is a respected emerging Christian leader who has a rich ministry heritage with over 20 years of experience working in community development and Indigenous healthcare in remote, rural and urban Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities nationally. Her maiden speech to the Anglican Synod can be found uh, at a number of places, and I encourage you to go and look it up. She currently works in ministry with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander individuals and families across Australia, and is based in Glebe at St John's Anglican, where she is part of the coordination team for Scarred Tree Indigenous Ministries. She is the chair of the Glebe NADOC committee and a sought-after speaker, consultant, and educator. Friends, we have this time today with these three incredible women that we're incredibly thankful for. Thanks for being here. Uh, this is so exciting. You know, uh, you know, since this is the Inverse Zone uh, series, you know that we like to just uh, ground our conversation in a scriptural passage that can kind of just shape, you know, all the other conversations that we're going to have together. So have you all chosen a scriptural passage that you would like to read? And can you read that for us? Oh, right there. Should have it ready. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, my, my scripture is, um, I guess, it, it's been the story for this whole referendum, really, um, yeah. and why, and pretty much why I vote yes. So it's in it's about the Samaritan woman, mm. and yeah. um, 
It's John 4, um, 39. She reported to um, many Samaritans believe. Many of the Samaritans from, the, from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever knew. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you saw. We, now we have heard for ourselves. And we know what this man really is the soul of the world. Hopefully I'll go deeper into why yeah. that. Yeah, we're, we're oh. looking forward to to that. That's good. <laughs> That's so good. That nice. So Morning. I said, you go, and she said, she pulled the cultural protocol and said, no, it's my house. It's your house. <laughs> so now I have to go Checkmate. <laughs> um, I'm going to read you a rewrite of Psalm 23. Um, there's lots of scriptures that I, that I love, but I wrote this rewrite in my journey to understanding and contextualizing scripture from my Pacifica heritage. And so... Um, these are my words, my interpretation of that passage. Hmm. Uh, Psalm 23, creator is my constellation. I am held safely in the VAR. She guides me into deepest blue. She gives me to the quiet waters. She breathes life into my sails. She knows all the paths between the night skies. For her name's sake, she is beauty. Even though I am battered by the strong winds, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your alofa, your grace, your stillness, they comfort me. You roll out the weed mats before those that have harmed me, and you serve them fresh fish, taro, and juice. But as you do, my head is anointed with coconut oil, and then mana overflows. Goodness, faithfulness, the wisdom of your waka still strengthen me, all the sunsets of my life, and I will stamp my feet. I will twirl my fingers, I will sway my hips, beat drums, and shout from the bottom of my belly under the thatched roof while the rain falls as long as I'm able to practice. Mm. Oh. <laughs> Hannah, did you have a a particular passage that you want to lift up as we start? I do. I just need a whole second. From Jeremiah um, 6, verse 16. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask for the good ways and walk and milk and we'll find rest for your souls. Hmm. I'm such a sook. I'm in tears already. Yeah. But the um, next question is, okay, try hold it together, Jared. Hold it together. Um, as participants in the Inverse community, um, how has involvement um, encouraged, transformed um, uh, your life and faith? Uh, were your experiences in community, was it something that was uh, liberating or oppressive? Okay. Um, yeah, that was a great 
question. I think the inverse community came about for me at a really um, important time of my life. I think my first real experience with inverse community was in the very first book club that was done, um, which there was a lot of uh, participants in the book club from far and wide, and it was a global community. Um, I had just started entering into spaces that were right from the get-go putting in cultural protocol and inverse community was one of those. Um, I remember, Jared and Drew, you really encouraging um, black, brown women to speak first, um, and that was a uh, uh, non-negotiable as part of the way we communicated in that book club. And even though you put that protocol in place, I still found it really difficult to speak up. Mm. It took me the whole book club and maybe even the second attendance to, to really put myself out there. But having you value um, the, the knowledge that that's not what we would ordinarily do and allow us the space and the awkward space for people to be silent before we spoke gave me a lot of courage to use that in my way of working and being since then, which was a few years ago. Um, so that was my first experience. Liberating, yes, very liberating in a sense that I now can own that as something that I observe, but also wish for, um, for black, brown women all across the globe. And we don't operate out of anything that's different to that anymore when we hold space. So great. So great. Um, I think when I became involved in the inverse community was really through Jared <laughs> um, and his invitation. And then um, I guess also uh, understanding Understanding what liberation meant for in, in an Indigenous context. Was this, yeah. It's not the same of the Black context, it's that <laughs> Indigenous context. Mm. So um, what did that mean? What did that look like? Um, but also, what does it look like to continue to be in relationship with um, a white fella? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, understanding the context of, of the Australian story um and the christian australian story we both had two different journeys and two different histories and so what did reconciliation look like so i think for for the inverse community um i think the biggest thing that impacted was um drew hart's book yeah. um i've seen and then once uh we did a i did a book club just with my family and the ripple effect that it changed in their lives. Yeah. Um, and the way that um, they could finally have language to the experiences um, that they've seen and that they didn't feel so unknown. Like, is this just happening just to us? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. but to have language and someone write about that and put language and experiences to that, that was probably the most powerful thing that I've ever seen. And to actually uh, forgive themselves, you know, um, I think that was the biggest thing, like uh, to not feel guilty about the decision of leaving church mm -hmm. because of because of its oppressiveness. Mm -hmm. That there was liberation in a sense that that uh, we could actually uh, make peace. One, with some of the decisions we had to make. 
not to continue our oppressive, you know, being oppressed because yeah. we have to go to church. Well, yeah, but that's why I love this movement. Um, as not to dissimilar, I mean, um, where in, in my context in Aotearoa and New Zealand, um, growing up in the church meant that um, my participation as um, a young girl or as a mighty woman was limited to you can sing, you can um, you should prepare the feet out back. You know, there were certain roles that we were allowed to occupy. Um, and through your invitation, Jared, being able to become a part of this community was actually an invitation to explore other facets of who I am and who we are as Indigenous women and we can think and we can we can debate stuff and we can bring ourselves wholly to it um, and that's a liberation that um, is deepened through the diversity and the commitment to walking the out um, that offered in wisdom and into the friendships. Um, I just, I mean, I think about a conversation that I had with you, Jared, just one day we were chatting on the phone and I was doing some research into my family history in Ireland. My mum's Irish. Um, and realised that my family were part of the oppression of Jared's family. Um, and that was a bit of a table turn. Like, I wasn't familiar with being on that side of, of a narrative or in a, in a history. <laughs> um, but there's a commitment to working that out and sensing mm. Um, again, that we can bring our whole selves to. Um, and that's that's been transformative and been able to do some deep dives into cultural ways of thinking um, about scripture and interpreting it through my cultural lens and been able to offer that to community and see how that resonates with other people. Um, it's profound. Totally. Mm. Wow. You could just pass the plate, the offering plate, and uh, call it a day. This is so good. This is so good, you know. Um, but there's more, folks. This is we haven't even we just we just begun. This is there's more. Um, so let's go even farther in terms of just like specific moments when you think about um, the inverse community. Um, are you able to think of and describe a specific moment or conversation? Some of you guys already kind of hinted at some, but. Uh, within the universe community that had a liberating impact on you like so there's a, like there's like one thing that kind of sticks out in your minds in terms of a moment or conversation what would that be for you it's more a feeling um that came about mm. just sitting on on one of the, the zooms and realizing that from africa to the states to australia to the pacific like everyone's not like everyone's everyone's getting it and the feeling that that yeah. Um, generated for me mm. um, because it's just to know like oh you're not the only one yeah yeah that, mm-hmm. that feeling of solidarity um, yeah. and that resonance with people from so many different continents and islands and um, yeah that's it's the feeling more than one particular event mm. oh it's powerful. Um, I have a particular moment that just came to mind um, and wanted to just shout out to the incredibly powerful and deeply faithful um, community of black and brown women, global community of black, brown and indigenous women that I've met through Inverse Community, that we are in constant contact and support with 
um, and we walk alongside. I remember a moment a couple of years ago where I was in the emergency room with my child and I had put out a WhatsApp message to, to Naya and I said, yeah. can you pray for me? And I expected her to say, yes, yes, I'll pray for you. But she did a voice memo, and as soon as I put it on, it was Dear Heavenly Father. Mm-hmm. And I the spirit just moved, my wow. heart was settled. And I and I was, it was like she was in the room. And I've never mm-hmm. met her in real life, but I will always be forever grateful that she she prayed for me and that she prayed for my child and she voice memoed it to me, even though we had never met, but we were connected that way. And so yeah, that's been really impactful for me. Having those connections, Beautiful. and one day yes. we will reunion and retreat and rest. I'm sure. Pass that bucket around, yeah. Like yeah, that's right. That's, <laughs> right. that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. We, we have flights to buy. That's right. So we need the inverse conference. Yeah. Let's <laughs> Um, for me, yeah, a bit like Hannah, there's like been a lot of different moments, but I think uh, what I really enjoy is. Um, and well, I guess the, the liberating moments is when we're having conversations in conversations in community. Um, and the idea is that I can go back and listen to it again and then, you know, and re, re-evaluate, re-evaluate it for myself. Well, um, I think that's, that was really important, but also, um, it, I guess this community forces me to have a global perspective. So yeah, not wow. just uh, just not just an indigenous perspective, but perspective, but a global perspective, which is really important because how do we reconcile that throughout indigenous um, mm. and participate and participate in the global units um, in our indigenous? Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is probably more important for me. Uh, yeah. You know, it's making more sense, right? Yeah. Because it's not just about race, it's about how to be indigenous in all spaces. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, off the back of that research, are there are there particular practices um or, or even beliefs that have expanded for you in terms of for all of you, in terms of um what it's been like be part of these international communities and hear from people like whether it's um hearing from um sami indigenous theology in um norway or from um carol in in kenya um uh, or, or from um sarah in turtle island i'm um, bringing um the wisdom of her people as you've been a part of these conversations and in, in global indigenous conversations are there particular beliefs and practices that have become more expansive for you in light of that um but i think not expansive because i grew up in this space yeah you know like my parents um myself and hannah's parents were part of the forerunners of expanding that view, um, you know, through the world gathering of Indigenous people. So we kind of grew up in this sort of expansive space. But I think it was more like, um, uh, I guess, understanding uh, our culture, (laughs) I don't know, 
how culture and theology kind of clash in different spaces. Right. And then, yeah, yeah. And then how it clashed for different people and then how it clashed for us. And then understanding that it was okay for us just to have our own space and then it was okay for other, you know, Black Americans to have their own space. Yeah. But how do we bring that together? I think this is probably why this this community is unique because it's the bringing together without wow. overpowering each other's stories um like you know um it's not the oppressive olympics you know right, <laughs> you right. know like you know my oppression's <laughs> more than your oppression you know so um it's trying to be careful that um that we all bring something to the table um and um and i think that's that's the key because i love eating <laughs> <laughs> me too me too but, yeah. you know, but but if I don't sit at the table and eat the food, then I won't understand, you know, um, what it is that they're bringing. And then we find commonality, like, you yeah. know, dead buffs, fry bread, fry bread, you know, um, whatever yeah. we need. <laughs> you know, so there's these just in just in that one um, simple, uh, you know, um, metaphor, it's like, okay, you know, so... Um, Really, it, it's about, yeah, just trying to stay Indigenous in these spaces without bringing my colonial uh, or decolonizing myself in, in these spaces. Yes. Safely. Yeah, yeah. Um, safely. Yeah. And one of the things, um, I'm just thinking about expansive practice, um, one of the things that we grew up in with, with these gatherings that Larissa talked about, um, every two years we've been in a different country hosted by Indigenous people in that country. And it was truly to come together and celebrate and worship within the expression that we held on our own cultures and to mm. celebrate one another as we did it. Um, and that's something that we've continued in our own lives and with our own families, and we've continued to come together together and to celebrate and to share food and music and sounds and dance and whatever else. Um, and it's something that we're really intentional about and it's not that they're every two years anymore, um, but we try to do it as regularly as we can. Um, or we are versus having something here, then I'll try my best to come over to support her. Um, or, you know, if it's online or, or what have you, there's that practice of coming together that is strengthened and maintained um, what we have and growing up, um, which also is the challenge, right? But that's, that's not sure. easy. Yeah. Um, to find resources or um, time um, when we've still got our feet firmly in our own community. Wow. Um, part of the, one of the challenges of all response to Christian, like one of the challenges of thinking globally, is whatever we're not doing with our own people, it was costing out the time, the energy, and rebels that we can get to our own struggles and our own people. Um, but to also recognize it's so worth it. No, it's not this either or this false binary that we can slap sometimes. Um, yeah. yeah. But being careful that politics and oppression always shows us how we live when we're trying to do those. Always. always. We're always <laughs> trying to the patriarchy or the, the oppressor, you know, because they're still trying to, um, you know, uh, maintain their power over our space. So it's mm. not like it's not without um, the bad, mm. right? So like, even though there's good happening, bad is always there. You know, evil yeah. is always there. Yeah. 
So it's not to say that this is like a airy fairy. Oh, beautiful! <laughs> yeah. Like uh, to be honest, like you know, at every gathering, um, Australia was the number one um, where white owners would turn up and want to take over in an indigenous wow. every time, every time, you know. And and it was, and I guess this is the 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 key of, of making these sorts of um, spaces because then we got to learn how to empower ourselves, what does self-determination look like in these mm-hmm. sorts of places? Because we felt safe to do that. You know, how do we advocate? How do our, you know, Maori brothers and sisters stand beside us and be allies? Because that's what we were forced to do. Because in every space there was just something like outrageous was happening, you know. Mm-hmm. Like in one thing we had the white fellas dressed up as Aboriginals and the Aboriginals dressed up as Western. <laughs> you know, like oh it was goodness. just like weird stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's like you know, yeah, yeah. Like wow. I, I'm just that's just one of these many of exa- examples. But like, but how do you do how do you do it with race and mercy and love? Yeah. Uh doing the you know, correction, correcting that person. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. yeah, I was, uh, you know, in a moment, we'll get into coming back, circling back to the Bible passages, but I was going to ask one more question, though I feel like you all have already kind of like moved in that direction, but just, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but like, you know, in terms of, you know, moments that you felt deep belonging and support within the community. And I feel like you already have turned our conversation in that direction. But I don't know if there's anything else you want to say as it relates to just thinking about that kind of deep support and belonging um, that I think are, is organically moving in that direction already with what you all have already been talking about. Um, yeah. I mean, I have a different experience um, from these two in that I did grow up in church um, and I probably had a lot of trauma to work through, a lot of indigenizing my own identity, um, mm. being a migrant of Pacific heritage to stolen land. And so being in relationship has been really important to me with um, these beautiful women. I Damn. think the extension of that is just the um, the solidarity in being um the 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 cheerleading is is kind of the word that comes to mind. I think yeah. that we have really been encouraged by the idea that um, through inverse community, for me anyway, I could pop anything into our into our chat, and I know that there are women all over the the globe that are cheering me on. And so yeah. um, innately, um, that's how we operate. But to know that that's happening for us everywhere and that we would step into that space also for other women has really allowed us to evolve into the work that we do together and you know Jared before we started recording you were talking about us um moving into aunties I think that's like that's a really good description of where we are in our lives we're all similar ages and with that comes responsibility but also this um need to always be supporting and cheering each other on and so yeah we've been really I've been personally really encouraged to be able to do that for others as well so And it's so significant where there is such a crisis in so many churches um, 
at least how I've experienced Drew in Australia, where we we have so much immaturity and so few people actually wanting to become elders. Mm, yeah. Like what, what it is to actually have wise people who embody and create space with their bodies for models of holding and wisdom where there can be a fierce justice and yet a tenderness and those not be contradictory but it's it's the same fire um burning and being experienced in in different ways that that's so needed and um you lot do that everywhere you go like um i oh <laughs> rosera um and you should have seen rissa um, on Noongar, Wadjuk Noongar land, um, and when she brought it at Bentley Baptist and she oh. was, there was the warmth of Arnie Sharon. There was that pastoral, like, like subtlety and tenderness, Arnie Sharon, and there was that deep gravitas of Uncle Ray. There was this sense of like, whoa, here is the word of God. And uh, you had all these white Baptists on the verge of dancing. It was fantastic. Like, <laughs> no, it, it was... I cannot believe a word you're saying. <laughs> 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 I don't want to say it. Yeah. What about you about the white Baptist dancing? Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful thing about Larissa is that she's extremely fluid in the way that she travels country she has a really invitational spirit so yeah. i know that she was on land that formed her as well and also that's formed right but um you're right she invites people into something that is a, a third space it's not the same space and yeah yeah we love we love supporting that and love that about her and her leadership you all thank yeah. you guys <laughs> hey well as you carry that and um, invite us into spaces that expand ourselves so we can see ourselves and see models of ourselves as um, futures holders of those to come, would you open up those incredible passages that you brought us to tears? We'd love to um, hear what they mean to you um, or we could feel what they meant as you read them. But each one of them was so, uh, like, Knowing you all particularly, what you chose, um, I can't wait to hear what you have in terms of those passages. So whoever wants to start in whichever way you want to do it, we're on the edge of our seats. Um, <clears throat> I think um, it, so the, the Samaritan woman for me is a writing story, but it's a story of creating catalysts for a community. And yeah. um, also um, a catalyst that is female, uh, that is indigenous, what is brown. Um, yeah. uh, and so I think, um, you know, in times of this, this uh, any hostile environment <clears throat> is how do we uh, create stories around women, um, indigenous women, and um and I think Jesus did it so beautifully. Yeah. Um, he really sat in the intersectional um, <clears throat> uh, of the well so beautifully. Um, you know, talking about politics, talking about race, talking about gender, classism. Yeah. You know, he sat in that and he did it so well through the metaphor of water. Um, well, and we talk about this all the time about, you know, what does good water look like for our communities? And most of the time, it is through the eyes of a woman who are Indigenous women who bring that water 
to our communities. They are the, the wells of our communities. And so, um, you know, um, uh, just in terms of the, this referendum, um, you know, like the, the the people who are carrying this this referendum are all Aboriginal women. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so like Megan, you know, Professor Megan Davis, Aunty Pat Anderson, oh, um, you know, who are part of the architects of, of the voice. Um, uh, a lot of the, our um, a lot of our um, women senators. Like so, we look to them, you know, for for their um, for their leadership, but also because we want some of that that water that they all have to offer, you yeah. know. And um, but in the same token, we also need to offer uh, that sort of um, you know, I guess that question that um, how how do I change it, you know, so that I'm not always extracting from you. But I become, yeah. you know, the, the the testimony of the change to my yes. community. Yeah, yeah, wow. Because that, that's usually what was the the, the Samaritan woman. She became the testimony of change um, for her community, and they believed because it was her, not because of yeah. it was Jesus. They that's invited right. him. In. They invited him in, but they believed because of her testimony, not because of Jesus's testimony. And so, like, so that's why I feel like if for Australia to change, it needs to change. Uh, they just need to see it well and put them all the way, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give us all the resources, you know. You know, like, I guess that's the thing because she knew her community. She also knew how to resource her community. She she became the well for all those people. They were saved because of work. And so what does that say, what we can do in the practical sense? Yeah. But well, the danger of it is the colonised view of the scripture. Uh-huh. Go there. <laughs> Go there. <laughs> Where, well, well, you know, like the church is saying, I am, you know, like it's it's the sending out, you know, replacing the woman with the black woman, right. you know, replacing the the theology that, you know, I am the one to save me in my community. So the images of that woman changes, depending on who's bringing that work and all that testimony. Mm. So I think that's the danger. Like when we hear about the scripture, they love using the scripture about trying to access community, access, you know, theology, because, you know, because we're the, you know, pagans <laughs> you know the, the savior complex yeah. you know so yeah. like um so you know they use this uh, part of that language that drew art uses is you know weaponizing theology you know that that's part of the weapon you know like mm -hmm. um you know changing the perspective but if we use an indigenous lens hey she's me but yeah. he's also indigenous yeah. as well that's right but, but understanding that Jesus even had, when we're talking about intersectionality, we're also understanding that he had power and privilege. Yeah. Being a Jewish man, yeah. you know, what a, you know, the danger on her life for talking to a Jewish man. Yeah. There were so many things that could have went wrong. Um, you know, even the the his um disciples, 
you know, actually grounding for talking to her yeah. because of the interchange for the political lens that they were using. But I guess, you know, and I guess that's why, you know, the scripture is so important to our liberation because if you use it, if you understand it fully, it is through the, the brown women who are actually the worlds of our communities. Mm, but how moral. do you look up with them? Black and Ooh. brown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my um the scripture that I shared um is it's a comfort to me. Um, that you know, the, the bit before it where it's talking about um are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. And I think about um the the people, the system, the constructs that continue to demonize our, our indigenous cultures, continue yeah. to shame, um, to withdraw um resource support, um and so on, that that, that is a present oppression against who we are as indigenous people and the um the lie that that it's not good, that it's evil. Like yeah. God God made us, or the God of the third of his word of Genesis, like what's good. And yeah. I love that the passage affirms that, that when we think about our ancient ways, our ancient knowledge, that God is present in it, that God is good, and therefore God is yeah, present in our culture, present in our design, that me being Māori and in Irish is, is by design, it is intentional. God is present in it. Um, so therefore, when I dive into that, I'm not only exploring um, identity or personal identity, I'm exploring this part of who God is, mm. the way that mm-hmm. God expressed God's self within my Latinness yeah. and within my Irishness. Um, and like just to break this down into each part of it, like stand at the crossroads. And look, like it's pay attention to these intersections when there's things pulling on us and you could go in multiple directions. And then to ask, ask for the ancient way, ask for the ancient path. And then ask where the good way is. And that's that's an alignment that is ancient, it is good. And then walk in it. And in the walking, there's been a response. That, that's been revealed. The ancient and the good has been revealed. And we're able to walk in it. And right. that, that is a restful walk for my soul. It's not a combative walk for my soul. Wow. And like to, to just personalize it, when I received, so these are traditional markings on my chin for women. Yeah. Um, and it's speaking to my status and my family and the responsibilities that I have in my family and that I have accepted the responsibilities that they've given to me, which is why I, who, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but I find myself in meetings about a treaty settlement and getting our yeah. land back and all that. But that's that's what this is talking to. Yeah. And I had to go through, go through a whole process of um, addressing some of that default thinking that, that it isn't good, 
or like, what are, what, am, what am I going to say? What's the response going to be if I walk into a church and someone comes at me? Or if I walk in, you know, whatever context. Um, and the way that I align myself is through this verse. I align back to the way and back to people design, uh, what the design is that God wanted for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I draw on it a lot. Um, and then I also stand in that, like, I will be this woman. I will, and this is not denying my Irishness either. Yeah. Um, in fact, my Irish standing were all with me as well. Maybe mm. when I um, But it, it's, it's that self-determination, but it's not this arrogance because that isn't the ancient way. <laughs> the is ancient it? way is one of humility and it's one of service to community. Um, because there is an inherent reciprocity that exists. Yes. I'm compelled to then be in community with those who disagree or those Mm. who make it that this is evil. I'm compelled in my ancient ways to try and walk alongside and help them understand. But also, when they don't, ancient ways also to retreat. But I can do that in a way that still respect them. Like this is a very present investment in my day to day. So powerful. Um, one of the things, one of the traditional ceremonies in Tuvalu is our fatele, and it's a, a dance that community does um, to communicate with each other. And it's a dance that starts very slow and then repeats itself. And then after a while, it gets faster and faster. And the messages that are sent are messages of great importance um, from community to community. Sometimes they're messages of conflict resolution. Um, Sometimes they're messages of celebration. The thing that I love about the Psalms is, for me, it's about... Uh, praise and lament, um, but yeah. holding both of those tensions. And we talk about being Indigenous women in a hostile environment, and we often talk about longevity in this environment. The reason why I changed the words of Psalm 23 was because I needed to be reminded that whoa, the whoa, way... Whoa, wait, wait, wait. Sarah, is that... Did you write that? I did, yeah. No way. Yeah. That's <laughs> phenomenal. That's yeah, your translation. Uh, <laughs> it was my translation, yeah. Oh, my good! Like, that's really important to say at the outset because it was exquisite. Like, it, like um, I mean, all the passages you're talking about are so powerful. Um, all the ways you're talking to them are so powerful. But what you did in actually enculturating, decolonizing, and actually, like, yeah. indigenizing... Um, it it was so incredibly, incredibly yeah. powerful. Um, so the next question is, because people will want um, to be able to access it, we've got to make sure that there are ways that um, you're remunerated, uh, you're referenced, and uh, people can give thanks for the community that has formed you when they read this. Because the last thing we want in, quote-unquote, progressive white Christian um, liturgies is for this to be read without any reference to you. Um, it's really, really pa- so. We'll come back to that. Sorry to interrupt, but I, I just it is it is exquisite. Honestly, like 
so, so beautiful. So beautiful. That's Pat. That's last of you to say. And thank you. That's an important conversation to have. Um, Yeah, so the reason I rewrote those words was to remind myself that those the imagery that comes from those words are who I am in good and bad and um and is is how I operate and my way of being in hostile environments and in peaceful times. And so Polynesians know how to celebrate, um, we know how to communicate, Mm. and we know how to praise. And so what I do for me to be part of this community on this land is to remind myself um, of the ability and innate depth of my faith to be able to praise through those moments. And I do those because of community to stand beside Larissa um, through these moments of the referendum and everything that falls out of that. But I also do it because it's a glorification of who I am and how God created me to be. And that's why I love, and I love the tension of the Psalms in that I would like everything to be nice and for me to feel like I want to praise all of the time, Um, but I don't. But but the the idea of it being who I am, whether I like it or not, is something that I'm reminded of. I mm. pray, I praise, I believe, I have deep faith in the goodness of God, and He has allowed me to to be who I am through using those words um, and through those imagery. Mm. Well, that's so good. Yeah. It's incredible. And the, the interplay between those different texts, um, the, the way what Hannah has brought, I can see you actually practicing for you, um, even as you like interpret that text, the importance of what Rissa was saying in terms of like, is through the testimony of black and brown women, um, and understanding that this isn't a white Jesus. This is like an indigenous Jesus, a, a, a black Jesus, who, um, uh, but still it needs to come through the particular community. Um, like, and the interplay between these three things. So our next question is, when is, when is your joint book out? And um, <laughs> uh, when can Dr. Drew and myself endorse it? That's right. <laughs> All very good question. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just get over the referendum first, eh? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Focus on the now, down. my brother. <laughs> now, well, we'll... if I may, since you brought it up, Hannah, yeah. I'm particularly interested, um, uh, many, in fact, the majority of our listeners aren't from these lands we now call Australia. They're in your position and Drew's position and other places around the globe. Um I know that um, the history of the Watangi Treaty for um, uh, Māori people is complicated, and yet I'm really interested to hear how you reflect on the history of these lands and where we're at and what's being asked um, and how, how, how do you see the resistance? And the resistance is real, like if the news reports are anything to go by, the simple acknowledgement in the constitution and a voice um, uh, to parliament, it, it's it's not the easy win that lots of us thought it would be. Um, before I hear from 
those who live permanently on these lands. I'd love to hear from you in terms of what's your take on all of this, given your particular history, Aotearoa, New Zealand? Um, so at home, even though we have the treaty, um, and for those who don't know, the, the treaty was signed um, in 1840, um, and it was, in short, um, we talk about principles of the treaty, um, and it's, it's things like active protection of our our sovereignty and our self determination. Um, that um, I, I don't want to go into it because it can get really deep in the point of this referendum. Um, but the yeah. same behaviours and resistance that I see here to the referendum yeah. exist at home. Um, and there's, for some reason, there is um, this consistent belief that justice for someone else means that they're going to miss out on something, that it's going to cost wow. them something that they're not wanting to surrender. That's the same. Wow. Um, and an unwillingness to imagine something different. Um, there's a preference mm. status quo. Um, I mean, our election is on the same day as the referendum, and um, it's the worst that it's been um, in terms of using Māori as a political football, um, throwing them under the bus, and campaigning a campaign purely based on let's not have Māori being who they are. That's essentially what the campaign's about. Um, and then what that emboldens in community, like it's the same thing that we see playing out. Um, what's interesting to me in terms of response to that is also consistent. So to use our political landscape again, at present we have um, the Māori Party who are representative independent voice um, in Parliament. Um, their whole campaign is wrapped around the slogan, a new Aotearoa. And mm. they have asked people, what does it look like for you? What is causing new Aotearoa more for you? And New Zealand, um, and it's a visionary campaign. And when you listen to people like Larissa speak and Uncle Ray yeah. and Auntie yeah. Pat, visionary, yes. they're, they're um, imagining a different future. There's a willingness to go there, there's a desire to go there. What, what could be possible? So while we have this consistent messaging and resistance, we also have consistent messaging in what could be um, and what could justice look like. Um, and in our context, we can talk about unlabeled treaty, um, which is different. Here, there's a whole lot more innovation that's possible. Um, and I think it's an incredible opportunity for, um, as, a, as a country to connect to finding a response to that question would be good. Yeah. Until, again, the tune to those ancient paths. 60,000 yeah. years is a long time. My goodness. Beauty and that. It is for the development of the world. Yeah. You know, who's out when that's what I'm depending on. No one listens out. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think also understanding, uh, you know, the, the landscape 
here because you know originally you know in in um in colonizing um australia they also colonized new zealand so they're all part of the same i mean we share a relationship and how we were colonized together mm-hmm. um and so i feel like um but i think it was the act of saying that it was terminally so we did not exist yeah. um, so terminally it was claimed over this land and and it took us till 1992 to yep. actually stand Kerem So I was, you know, well, when I was actually, oh, there are native people here. Yeah. You know, yeah, 1992, yeah. 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 Um, through the Mabo decision. And yeah. um, and if you read the High Court, um, uh, the actual document of what the High Court wrote, it is fully uh, what you would call what people are saying. Oh, you know, what does sovereignty look like, or what does Indigenous sovereignty look like? Well, the High Court of Australia in the Mabo decision wrote it. Is it is that we fully Indigenous on our lands? We have full control over our islands, and we have we are able to govern our islands within or within our own context well the government got its hands on it you know yeah. and and it used uh, I, I don't know if you remember jared like the scare campaigns that was happening um yeah. during um that <laughs> howard's era yeah um you know that they they would say oh you know they're coming to take your backyard you know <laughs> remember that stuff yeah like, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, hello this is stolen it was our backyard <laughs> <laughs> you did feel it, and you know, so you know, like, like, we put it in context there. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was, it was like, again, it was horrible for them. And then I, I feel sad, like, when I'm not going for it again. Yeah. The Liberal government doing it all over there, but this time you're in an Aboriginal group. Um, and I think um, understanding that, you know, there, there are two Aboriginal people who are. You know, in the no campaign politically, not grassroots. So this is I'm talking about. Um, you know what we call black cladding. Um, so, um, and I think it was um, she did. A, uh, one of the senators did a speech to a room full of white people um, and liberal voters. So a bit like real Republican parties. Um, very conservative, on, you know, highly rich. And uh, she just said, oh, colonisation didn't happen. We're all right, you know, and just mm. said, you know, we don't need any handouts. We don't need this. We don't need that. Um, and uh, it was the ripple effect of what she did to our one ones, to our that, like, just listened to her and trying to make peace with that big group, you know, it was like it's it was like Candace Owens on steroids. Right, that's yeah. what I was thinking of. I was thinking of Can- Candace Owens when you were saying, yeah, yeah, but on steroids, you know, mm. uh, it could was, get worse than that. That's scary. Yeah, it, uh, but the, it was. This, this is a politician, Drew. This isn't just yeah, like yeah, a yeah, public right. head, right, right, right. And um, and so it was like, how do we um? Because she's Aboriginal, like what? Why? How? How do we do this? You know, like, like 
Or, and then you, you have the outside voices asking, well, what's your opinion on this? We was just trying to deal with what she just said, you know? Like, yeah. like how do you make peace with what she just said? And yeah. Mm. Uh, so it was the best thing that we did was to get Lisa Sharon Harper. I said, Lord, what do I do? And he said, just talk to Lisa Sharon Harper. And so that's right. what I did. And, yeah, yeah. I just, we just had a live, um, literally the next day, we had a live um Instagram interview, just had a yarn. And the way that she put it in perspective within our faith, within justice. And I think this is why I'm saying why the Samaritan woman is so, because it takes a black woman to tell you what peace looks like, uh-huh. what justice looks like. You know, it takes another black woman to tell you how to look after the community. How to name things, how to put language to things. That's why she was our well in that time. Well, mm. you know, because we could, the shift that it helped us make, yeah, or helped me, you know, it, it was, there wasn't anybody else that helped me, mm. you know, and I know I'm a well to a lot of our women. That's right. So it helped me shift. And so, you know, pulling it out. You lost, you got your card revoked, you know, declined, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> but, you know. But it's the process of getting to that that point where you can have power in what you say now. We will say these things. There needs to be yeah. authority, but it takes time to get that authority. What's it that? takes language to get to that authority. It takes prayer, spirituality, yeah. and community to get to that authority, to stand in that authority. And so, again, you know, it took another black woman to do that for us without understanding the whole context of Australia. Yeah. But she understood the feeling, what it feels like. Yes. Just, you know, what it feels like to be, we still see some positive practice. Well, that, yeah. I don't know if I went on a team. Oh, good. That's all I ever do. <laughs> Tangents, welcome. <laughs> Which one? I'm I'm Sorry, curious. Okay. So, oh, I was Sorry? just gonna I was gonna ask. Um, I'm curious with this referendum because it at least what I read online, it seems like there's some aspect of truth telling that's supposed to come as a part of this process, yeah. right? And yeah, um, most truth. And I was curious about um, how would you describe um, the church scene in terms of like how our church is engaging with truth-telling and not truth-telling? Are they the biggest obstacle in this process? Are there it's some that are... exposing some truths. That's how I feel. I feel like it's exposing some real truths. Yep. Yeah. But Doctrine not, of discovery, so- like, it's got to be all embedded in that. So I'm just curious, like, what's the landscape of the conversation and what needs to happen as it relates to churches doing some truth-telling themselves? Yeah, uh, look, so when the Uluru Statement was, so what happened, uh, just a very quick, um, you know, background to the voice. So it's always been voice, treaty, truth. Taking the truth telling from South Africa, mm-hmm. taking yeah. the truth from all the other um, Indigenous countries in the Commonwealth. Yeah. And then, and the voice was an element um, very similar to the Sami Parliament. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but an element that is actually very innovative. Yeah. Um, already have advisory uh, elements within Australia. And Ransom, um, 
So it's nothing new. It's just that it's a very specific voice to parliament that is for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, people. So it's just speaking to legislation, really, right. and advising on legislation. But... Um, uh, so, and, and Drew, just to make sorry, Rissa, um, yeah, Drew, yeah. to make to make explicit, voice is just that they don't have to listen, right? Like, yeah. That's it, what I picked it's, up. Right. It's, it's literally like it's just a small hey, step in the right direction. It. Yeah. It's not even um, going where there's it needs a bunch to go. of politicians step, who would right? get to go. Yeah. No, um, that's that's all it is. But, but at least to be heard, it, right? It to bear witness, right? Yes, it yeah. is a witness. Exactly. That that's right. It is, it, yeah, yeah, uh, and exactly that. It is a witness to um, being able to, to, you know, be the to be the Samaritan in that space. Yeah, you know? yeah. like yeah. I know what my community. Let me advocate. Yeah. Let me tell what what's actually happening, and I can make the change within yeah. the community that belongs to me. You know, um, because understanding, you know, the vastity of Australia and yeah. the remoteness. You know, it's it's different for someone who's in the urban setting to losing that um, rural or remote setting. Wow. So it's just saying, oh, you know, when you're making a decision on, um, you know, federal housing, well, let us have a say in that. Right. Yes. Instead of yeah. direct, you know, direct yeah. impact. And yeah. that's huge. I mean, I don't know. Like, you think about the early post-colonial thinkers like Spivak, can the subaltern speak, right? I mean, it's just literally cutting out the middleman and all the other voices and allow people to speak for themselves and bear witness and do truth telling directly um that kind of prophetic witness in space even if people don't do what's right there's something powerful and unveiling and it's going to do work in the long run right that's right um and so it's it is only one step and people should not be freaking out about that but wow. but certainly um it can it can do more work than people probably even imagine in the long run, right? If that truth telling is happening in that in spaces of power where they're not usually they have their own myths, right? That they're so used to telling themselves. So yeah, that's why it's so powerful putting it into the constitution because it can't yeah. be changed. Can't be changed. That's right. Because the people voted for this, not yeah. the government. That's right. Yeah. And so that's why I think um, the element of truth telling. So when the Uluru Statement of the Heart, it was a gift to the Australian people. Yeah. You know, presented it that way, that that this voice, this Uluru Statement of the Heart, why do we want the voice? The Uluru Statement of the Heart tells you why we want the voice. Yeah. It's because we are so oppressed and we don't have a voice to change the oppression. Um, yeah. You know, and the time has come where we want to stand in that in that space, where we want to advocate for ourselves. Well, um, and so, uh, but the position of truth telling was a gift to the church. Well, yeah. And if the church doesn't want to take it, take it up, then you know, what are we doing? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What are we doing? It says, right. it, but it really highlights like one of the things that uh, Mrs. Sharon Harper said. It highlights, you know, um, you know, like. The detail, I guess, um, the data that we need to change yep. move forward. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, it's data. I just got to paste up the data. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it, it helps you us locate not only ourselves but leave the churches there. Yeah, yeah. when those responses coming in, it's the data. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, this is the period. 
It's the climate of yeah, what's climate. going on. Yeah. Exactly. It's very, it's very revealing the climate yep. of the church at this point in time. Yeah. Um, and no no different to perhaps what had come out after George Floyd or 2020. Mm-hmm. The church will, is quick to weaponize the argument around race. It's quick to weaponize the argument around division. Um, the theologies that are embedded in the church for certainty and the idea, like the idolation of certitude, is very mm-hmm. present. Um, and and what what we're seeing, I think, is a real um, is a real silence that yep. that we mm. would have hoped that there could have been uh, recognition that it was a gift for reconciliation. Um, mm. Not unusual, but also, um, yeah. Still painful. It's, it's, it's still start. painful, yeah. right? Yeah, still yeah. Painful. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. I mean, as you were talking, it was, you know, King, he's like lamenting about his just lament of the white church. This is in the 60s. It's not that it was yeah. new, right? But it still was painful for him to watch um, the moderate church, not the right-wing right. hardcore, but just even the moderate church just remain silent and irrelevant to what was happening all around. And I think, you know, it's painful and when you have deep belief of what the church ought to be and who we've been called to be, our vocation, right? Yeah. And, and Drew, to take um, a, a Kingian metaphor, uh, I think um, what our sisters are making plain is that there are lots of thermometers at the moment yeah. actually reading the heat and few thermostats. Yeah. They're, they're, in, right. Instead of actually changing the church, mm-hmm changing yep. um the the climate instead yep. um the church's read i mean here's what i'd offer and i'd be interested to hear my take on the referendum and churches is churches that have prized being relevant to a colonial consumerist reality mm. um want to be relevant to everyone including those who want to prop up that reality um churches who have started a journey of listening and repenting are actually taking risks and it's not always the quote-unquote um uh, liberal denominations but there are some conservative places and because there are um, people in their congregations who are first nations people and they love these people and because of the tenderness and the real fellowship um uh, those places are actually hosting like yes events and that kind of stuff but Mm. It, it's the when you have structures that um, are, are completely hierarchical um, and autocratic within churches who mm-hmm. don't have an agenda that is sensitive to that, there is no possibility for the voice right. of um, sisters and brothers who are on the receiving ends of these realities to be heard at all. And so this is an incredibly painful and alienating time for lots of Christians who are First Nations people at the moment. And as Larissa mm-hmm. rightly pointed out, the largest population of any segment in our society in Australia of Christians are First Nations people. Mm-hmm. And yet this is how the church responds to these faithful siblings in Christ. It. It's yeah, incredibly and painful. I sat next to Christians who said, I'm writing no because I don't think it will work. Mm. And I'm saying, but it, it's not for you to experience right. the actual outcome. <laughs> right. It's actually not for you. You are, And all you have to do is write, why yes, 
you know? And walk away. Walk away, you know, that is the extent of your indigenous just justice, you know. Um, but what happens after the after the vote or after this, you know, that's when it comes into play. We get to have that's where our self-determination, what it looks like, you know. Yeah. But it will never affect your life. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, right. Like, <laughs> because right. Yeah. you know, yeah, because you get to you know opt in and out of this. Right. And it will be the opting out that that he probably will. Right. Yeah. I was just going to say that's yeah. the hypocrisy of community yeah. argument. Mm. Now we don't want oh. special treatment. Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah. And their special treatment was guys nice because we're all one. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. that mess in Galatians. Yeah. They're always popped up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like. The, the irony that, like, our unity is in Christ, and so the question is, where is Christ found? Christ. That's right. And Christ is found amongst those who are hurting, those who are on the underside, those with their backs against the wall, as Drew Hart would remind us, quoting Thurman, that um, you cannot be have a unity in Christ that isn't also a unity with those who are hurting. And that's what's lost on the church at this moment, because they want to play chaplains to empire, um, because they feel their relevance is, is slipping, instead of be found on those ancient paths that Hannah is, is calling us to. Yeah. I don't know yeah, why. There's... Gonna... No, you go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to add, and they want to determine what unity is defined by. Yeah. So I, I don't think that they would argue that they're not unifying or, you know, presenting unity as an, as an option, but, but I would like to decide what that looks like. And right. it doesn't necessarily look like voting yes because right. you know, for me it looks like something else. And right, yeah. So yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm fresh off of reading um, James Cone's last chapter of God of the Oppressed, where mm. he makes the arguments right liberation precedes reconciliation, which is uh -huh. the same thing, right? The kind of unity that they're talking about is this empty, spiritualized, domesticated reconciliation unity where all the means, the structures stay the same, the injustice stays the same, the power differential stay the same. Um, but if reconciliation and unity are dependent on liberation, right, firsts and justice, right, and a transformation of the entire society so that shalom, right, can actually flourish, mm -hmm. um, then it's a completely different uh, framework that we're talking about. And I think that um, that is what it's just another Christendom or imperial domestication and distortion of the good news of Jesus that I think we've got to confront one more time. But what I was going to say earlier, though, is it's so fascinating. Like truth. when I hear you all talk, Love right? Like, now we got to explain to everybody. In. See, nobody yeah, knows. Everybody now like, I got to explain that I have a Mario hat on because uh, Jared has Luigi. But anyway, but, um, <laughs> but what I was going to say is there's something there's so, it's interesting like how I hear you all, so I'm listening to you all talk and like I'm like yeah I can't believe these white people would do all these terrible things and of course like I'm sure like Sarah and I probably like but in our own country like we're just so accustomed to like yeah of course like they have mm -hmm. no imagination but it's somehow I expect it to be different for like other folks right so I'm like moved <laughs> like oh, you you know like, how could they not imagine a way forward, right? How could they not dream and be courageous? Um, and yet, you know, I don't necessarily have those own expectations in my own land right here on Turtle Island. Um, we've just become so accustomed also to the same thing. Um, yeah. But the fact of the matter is, it's always possible, right? And I think that 
people do need to be invited into uh, a more dangerous imagination of That's right. new futures, right? Of God's dream for us, um, for all of us globally and locally in our own um, lands that we're upon. And so I think that um, it's important work. I'm encouraged by the work that y'all are doing. I'm encouraged by your moral clarity and vision right. and inspiration. Um, and hopefully that'll inspire me a little more to keep pushing on on my end of the world because mm. it is, as you all said, it's the same fights, it's the same struggle and different particularities, um, but they all rhyme, right? They mm. all rhyme together. Yeah. Well, well I'm I'm tempted. But I won't. <laughs> but I'll, I'll just mention. No, you have to. Yeah, because we're big darks here. Exactly. Sure to say. In terms of like Second Corinthians five and the ministry of reconciliation, what we're called to is a unity in a particular eschatology. But when you lose the eschatology, what you're actually being united with is how the way things are, not the way God dreams right. them to be. Right. So our unity is in Christ. Christos as in Mishiach, as in Messiah, as in the Messianic age, as in the world as God desires it to be. And it comes through a crucified one. And so the only unity we have is with the one upon the cross whom has renamed us and united us as a people who don't crucify, but work in a power that raises people from the grave. That's our unity. And the Ministry of Reconciliation isn't bringing people together in this flat reality so we can get on better as the world works at the moment. It's being found in Christ that we are new creation. And whenever somebody is found in Christ, new creation, as in the world that God longs to be, the healing, the shalom, the, the right relationship between all of um, created reality, that is... We say yes to that in baptism. We say yes to that in discipleship. We say yes to that, and we're created in and brought into a community who is living that. All this talk of unity we hear from conservatives, they don't want Christ risen from the dead. And and this this is a kicker line for me. Um, from now on, we now no longer regard anybody from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. As in the Christ that we longed for, was a Christ that looked like the world's expectations, ones that come with a sword and we unite people like the Roman Empire does. We no longer consider one another like that, though we once hoped for a Messiah who would be like that. If we see Jesus clearly, we realize that the only unity we're called to is an eschatological unity. It's unity with eschatology, and the eschatology is God's peaceful kingdom, and that is a challenge to how everything works right now. So that I don't think there is a way that Christians can't vote yes, with the exception being Indigenous people who are so frustrated and are lamenting so much that they feel that the yes is so little that they reject it because they want all the things that are actually due. And uh, like uh, I'll, I'll end with my 15-year-old Winston and his wisdom um, responding to a particular um, politician, Australian Aboriginal politician who I've worked with on some campaigns, and she's saying no because of um, it's so little and she wants so much. And my 15-year-old says, you can't win the grand final, you can't win um, uh, the, the whole season unless you win each game in the lead-up to the finals.
And I think it's important to say that this yes is just one game. It's not the grand final. It, it's not the big picture. It, it's not the kind of healing our nation needs, but it is the game that's in front of us that means that we can keep playing to reach that dream that we hope for. Amen. I love that. Thanks, thanks to her. Because I feel like if we focus um, always on the crucifixion, we we'll forget about how Jesus moved in his community and in his life. Yeah. And I think that's the focus of being Indigenous because he lived his Indigenous um, fully within his culture, within mm. his identity. And how he, um, uh, you know, traversed all these politics and justice and injustice um, to finally deciding the, way, the only way that I'm going to save you is with my own wife. Oh. But he, but we, you know, like I just feel like, but he lived. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. He lived a beautiful life. That's right. Rich. And and so, like, uh, you know, I understand, you know, I, I'm so grateful for the light that, you know, the crucifixion on the bus. But I'm also grateful for the life that he lived. Oh, man. Yeah. And that the crucifixion could not even stop the life within him, right? It is. Exactly. So yeah. It's the and persistence that, that, of that, that life force. That's right. That we and want that's to, the promise. Like, and that's why I follow this man, you know? That's why I that's love right. him. You know, because that, his testimony, his own testimony, is why what makes him indigenous and what, what makes him, you know, powerful. You know, well, like, that's, yeah. All right, he can do. He lived. And now he lives. Now he lives. I feel like we we probably want to start wrapping this up, but I do want to give you all <laughs> each. Uh, no, no, no. This has been. I could do this all day, honestly. That's right. But, um, Incredibly rich. But but I know uh, we've got other folks that in a moment would love to have conversation with you. But I would. I definitely want to give each of you an opportunity to just have a last word on what you want to maybe share reflections, aspirations, hopes as this referendum comes, whatever you want to say to kind of close out our thoughts together. I guess in that same token of the moves, it will be saying, even if we be exploring like we will still fight with justice. You know, yeah. mm. um, fighting with the hope for um, the love of our people, for, for the justice of our people, um, for the reconciliation of our community. Mm. This will not be um, the end of us. Yeah, We won't let it yeah. happen, that's what I'm saying. That's yeah. Yeah. That's October 15 will come, and it reminds me of the lyrics of the song, Because He Lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because he lives... Well, I know the future. I know the future. And all fear is gone. Yeah. And I think that that's where we sit in community and in our way of being um, in two worlds um, and in knowing and loving the man of Jesus, that October 15 will come. He knows the future. Um, he lives on, so we live on. And... And that's how I feel about 
um, where we're at in this climate with the church and with Australian politics. Um, we're here because we're here to, to support each other. And for our next generation, you know, this is for our kids. The work that we do is for our kids so that we're able Love to it. show them and so they understand that God is good, that he's real, um, and we'll continue to do that no matter what the result, right? Yeah. This is yeah. totally our auntie, auntie era. Yeah, auntie era. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just, the only bread that comes to mind was the grains or Like, we direct us, all the light Australian church, like, be of good things or yeah. what you're giving to those that are still in generation gone from now. Mm-hmm. Yes. What are you saying now? And that should be life oriented, but not about today mm-hmm. or many days, but it isn't. It's about mm-hmm. civil generation. Um, and I, I hope that having like the rest of my sister, I've known each other since I was 16 years old. And in the gift that Marissa and Uncle Ran and Sharon are mm-hmm. to me and to my children mm-hmm. and to my family, um, that they have in their generosity and in their love impacted us. So their ancestors, not just of their own people, but to mm-hmm. mine. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's so much beauty. And that, and that's made possible because it is it can be. Yeah. Because yeah. that will it's a good way, it's an ancient good way. Just walk on it. Yeah. Like it'll it'll come, it'll unfold, just, just walk it out. Yeah. Um and it's it's that's the day we come in. But when you get to hang out with poor people like Wilson and Black Man, how yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I think if we just as a church remember it's a little thing. Yeah. Like, yes, yeah, it's the small thing from the game, right? The small game. Just walk it out. Walk it out. Yeah. Well, we're so thankful that death can't hold you sisters back. We see resurrection at work really clearly in your lives, and we give thanks for it. Um, we're going to uh, press pause for those who are on the podcast, but for those who contribute um, to Inverse with the Patreon community, we're going to open up for our question time um, now. So um, just to say thank you so much. Maybe would one of you be willing to pray for our listeners um, before we close out this bit? This one. Um, Lord, um, Heavenly Father and our Creator, we are so grateful that you have created us in your image. We're so grateful that you've given us the strength to live out that image. Um, And together we want to acknowledge in this space that we glorify you um, and that we're grateful in the things that we say and do. God, I pray for those that are listening to this podcast or that one person that might have needed to hear and be encouraged by the stories that we bring, Um, for your spirit that transcends um, sound waves and and moves in ways that we won't understand in people's hearts, minds, and spirits. And we thank you for this time. We thank you for this time and moment in in Australian history. And we ask, God, that you just bring 
the wisdom and knowledge that it takes for um, our people in this country to understand your goodness and be secure in the knowledge that you hold our future. And we pray for those that are part of the universe community and beyond, that they be blessed abundantly, um, that they know you and that they feel you in their everyday. We ask for this in your mighty name, Jesus. The Inverse Podcast is proudly supported by you, the listener. And if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text can still turn the world upside down, why don't you head over to patreon.com slash inverse.